go for it. Hello. Well, Hi. Let's just start right into let's this. Let's get shall right we? into this. Today is Wednesday. You know what that means. It's the Media Boat Podcast. Thank you for joining us here at the Media Boat Podcast. This is a regular episode of the show. If you are a regular listener, you'll know that we are deep in um, our uh, anticipation of the new, uh, the end of the year and the new year. And if you followed us in previous years, you'll know that coming up next week is our special year-end wrap-up edition. Is it already the end of the year? Already the end of the year. Wow! So, Who could have saw that coming? Upcoming, you will uh, be able to... <laughs> Uh, here are picks for the best movies, television shows, video games, and albums of the year. But that's next week. Mm-hmm. This week, we have our last, our second to last? Penultimate. Second, our second to last, our penultimate regular episode of the Media Boat Podcast. And yes, that means we are live on YouTube. If you didn't know that, yes. you can watch us live on YouTube to search our channel, yes. Media Boat Podcast. Exactly. Uh, next week is Christmas, or at least next Wednesday is Christmas. Yes. We won't be doing the live show, but, but you will get the first installment of our end of the year uh, yes. wrap-up. So look forward to it. But for now, this is a regular episode of the Media Poet Podcast. Today is Wednesday, December 18th, 2019. Mark it as a day of infamy. Yes. As we... Charge ahead into season five of yes. the Media Podcast. Indeed, yes. That's the exact- only important thing that happened today. That is the only th- important thing that happened today. Uh, for those of you who don't know what the Media Boat Podcast is, uh, then you are probably very confused by this intro. And second, uh, I will tell you, uh, the Media Boat Podcast is a podcast that's dedicated to bringing you news and thoughts about the newest video games, movies, music, and television. Not necessarily in that order. Thank you for doing it in that order. I did a brand new weird order. Yeah, you now. did. Uh, but yeah, uh, so look forward to uh, the rest of the year. But for now, look forward to the rest of this podcast as let's get it started right now. All right. We always uh, start the podcast with movies. Oh yeah, I and mean, I'm Matt and he's Mike. I'm Mike. He's Matt. Just in case you didn't yeah, no. know who was talking who. Sure. Um, and we always start the Media Boat podcast with movies section. And we always start movies... With the weekend box office numbers. So this is the calm before the storm. Uh, of sorts. Because, of sorts. Uh, you do have one huge, massive release this week. Sorry about that. I know. <laughs> besides besides uh, what we expel from our bodies. There's a huge release coming uh, to theaters uh, this weekend. But of course you know that that's Star Wars. But... <laughs> We're what not talking about, about the movies that aren't Star Wars. Yeah, we're talking about the movies that already came out last yeah. week. I'm just letting the, the people know. Yes. This is the stuff that everyone's going to forget about next week. Your number one movie this week was Jumanji 2, colon, The Next Level. <laughs> yeah. Sequel to Jumanji, uh, Welcome to the Jungle. Yes. Uh, with Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Kevin Hart and yep. uh, Jack Black. Yes. And Karen Gillan. This one has all of them returning, as well as uh, new co-stars, uh, including Danny DeVito. Yes. Uh, Nick Jonas, I want to say, is Nick also Jonas. in it. Okay. Uh, but yeah, that's your number one movie this week with a $59 million debut. Following that is Frozen 2, coming in at number two with $19 million, adding to an already impressive $366 million domestic. Will not make the 400. No, at but least this year. 
But it did already set a record. Yes. I don't know if we mentioned this last week, no, but we it did has not. set a, a record for the biggest worldwide animated film release mm-hmm. uh, in its first week. So that's pretty impressive. But uh, number three, coming in at number three, a just uh, a wonderfully deserved number three, Knives Out, with uh, $9 million to add to its $78 million total. That thing hasn't really gone down. It's been hovering around that $9, million dollar mark for the past month, it feels like. I think that's word of mouth working. Oh, well, it's definitely word of mouth working. Yeah. Number four, Richard Jewell. $4.6 million. The Clint Eastwood film? So not a stellar debut for Clint Eastwood. No. Uh, number five, Black Christmas, coming at $4.2 million. Your horror film. And in case you're wondering about Uncut Gems and me, I am constantly wondering about Uncut Gems. Oh, oh, I mean, I only worry about Uncut Gems when I'm ring shopping. There's a good tweet uh, I saw this week about uncut or referencing Uncut Gems. It was like... If I see one cut gem at this theater tonight, I'm going to shit. <laughs> Some people are very excited about Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems came in at $537,000, way at number 14. Wow, no one went to go see that thing. Yeah, not yet at least. That's or, probably going to be another word of mouth kind of thing. Or so would have you think, because while normally I only list the wide release films, yeah, this one... Ha, wasn't necessarily wide release. Not necessarily wide, wide, but it was wide enough where they were doing TV ads for it. Yes. Yeah. Which I think that might just be a local thing. Maybe. Because it only had 10 theaters. Okay, so we'll uh, give you real, more accurate numbers for Uncut Gems next week, yeah. where we'll get tr- single handedly trounced by the new release. I believe it will need to get out before the end of the year. Yeah, probably. Right. But, as I hinted, though, your new big releases this week... I think we had one more release last week. You have the number 19, and then you have 317,000 with no name. Oh. That's the the, (laughs) uh, Bombshell. Oh, Bombshell. Also in limited release. Yes, that one, four theaters. Number 19. But So, yeah, let's not even talk about those. No. What we do need to talk about, though, is, like I said, new releases. The two big, earth-shattering new releases this weekend are uh, Cats... Yes, the movie version of Cats. The movie Cats. The movie version of Cats. Yes. The musical, starring, among others, uh, James Corden, Taylor Swift. Jennifer Hudson. Uh, yeah. Uh, directed by... Tom Hooper. Tom Hooper. Academy Award winning Tom Hooper. That's right, we have to specify that. Yeah. For the King's Speech. Yes, unfortunately, for the King's Speech. Academy Award nominated for Les Miserables, Tom Hooper. Yes, that was nominated. This, uh, though, from um, early uh, um, feedback from people who've seen this thing, don't look forward to any awards. <laughs> uh, so far, it's only nominated, I saw, for one award, and that was in the Best Original Song. So, yeah, we'll see. But we'll see. We'll get to that later in the podcast, actually. Okay. Uh, but, of course, I'm bearing the lead here, because I already mentioned Star Wars, uh, Rise of the Skywalkers. No, just, just Rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker? Yes. I RLS. I forget what it is. RLS. Oh. Uh, yes, uh, the final of the what they're calling the Skywalker Saga uh, will wrap up here. And yeah, we'll see it. So uh, we're going to see this thing tomorrow night. We'll be back with... Uh, uh, we will have hot takes for we'll this thing. We'll have a hot thing. take for you next week. But until like, then... Like, I'm talking Thursday showing where all the fans come out. 
and you'll have people hooting and hollering at the screen, yeah. everyone clapping at the end. Sure. Maybe. Maybe. Depending. Depending. I don't know. I've, I saw a thing. I've stayed away from I I reviews. saw um, a summary, a critic summary. Oh, no. On um, Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. I saw the critic summary. That's all I know. Okay. I saw... I did nothing else. I saw one feed on my um, YouTube watch that said how The Last Jedi ruined Rise of Skywalker. Uh-oh. I was like... That's not how that works. That's not how that works. <laughs> that's definitely not how that works. Like that's not how that works, and it's very not gonna get into that. Yeah. So, so I guess we'll uh, come back next week and tell you all about it. Yes. For now, though, that's it for new releases. Do you want to do thoughts now? Nah, I want to do an over under on Star Wars. Okay. Now I meant to actually look this up. Yeah, I don't know how. But because it is Star Wars in Episode Nine. Um, I assume it'll do gangbusters. Yes. I want to put the over under at two hundred million, but okay. I want to say that will go under. Oh. To one fifty. Okay. I will gladly take the over here. At one fifty uh, or at two hundred. At two. At two. I will take the over at two. Okay, you'll take the over at two. I think what we've seen year over year the last like five years, the numbers keep getting bigger. They okay. don't go backwards. Right. The record keeps getting broken, and if anything's going to do it, Star Wars, over and over and over again. Now, Disney had the record earlier this year with um, Avengers Endgame with $250 million opening. Right. I don't think it beats the Avengers record. I don't think so either. But I think it does similar numbers. So we're going. Over, so you want to go over two hundred? Over two hundred. Okay. I, I am totally. I'm shocked. First of all, that you chose the under here. I I have <laughs> not looked at any numbers or anything related to this. I all I know is that it's sold out first weekend within hours. Yeah, and I think that's and an early theaters event. added shows because of it. I think that's a hint that this is going to do. Real well. But Star Wars is always going to do well. Yeah, I know. Wait, how it's did uh, Force thing. of... How did Last Jedi do? Last Jedi... Because Force Awakens sort of was at 175. It set some sort of record, I think. I think Last Jedi was it. below No, I thought it. it beat it. But I could be misremembering. I know overall it came in below it. Yeah. Because... Like, overall, maybe. Overall. Well, regardless, we'll see you next week. Yeah, we'll see you next week. numbers come in. Okay. Okay, do you want to do thoughts now? Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, I saw two movies that you saw already. All right. So I'm just going to be brief here. Okay, so you went to the movies and Double after it. two weeks of yes. me saying, hey, Matt, you should probably go see these films. Yeah. Uh, on the Meet Boat Patent It, yes. go see it list. Go see it. Well, I finally did. Okay. I did an old-fashioned double feature. We went to one. Literally went to the other one right after. Okay. It was a fun adventure. I haven't done that in a long, long time. But there were two movies that were totally worth it. Uh, worth the price of admission. Uh, first, we saw Frozen 2. You saw Frozen 2 first? We saw Frozen 2 first. That All was right. the matinee. How were the kids? Uh, loud. But it was still uh, watchable because, man, a lot of stuff happens in that movie. Yeah, it does. Big difference. First of all, the first big major difference I saw between the second one and the first one, man, this thing does not lull. Like, no. the first Frozen had a few moments where you're just like, man, they needed filler. Mm-hmm. This, all killer, no filler. Like, yep. they fill every single minute of this thing with something. 
it's always good that when you have your characters constantly moving forward, yeah, that's a good sign that you're doing something right. So there's good things about that, and there's bad things about that. And mm-hmm. The good thing is, is that it makes it entertaining. Mm-hmm. It makes the big set piece moments click when they do work. And as we discussed when we talked about it two weeks ago, when I asked you a bunch of questions about it, mm-hmm. there are about four attempts that the movie makes at a big moment like the the let it go moment in yes. the first movie. And you know what? I think they actually pretty much succeed. Yeah. I think the big moments are the best part of the movie. I think just the, the amazing looking set pieces and the technology on display, really impressive. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, like, they definitely up for their game in terms yeah. of technology here. And storytelling is no slouch either. I liked the fact that they really fleshed out the world of Frozen and made it feel like mm-hmm. the lore mattered. Yes. But here's the catch. Okay. All of that, though, is also the side effect of you just know... And you can feel it every second of this movie. How many revisions that script must have gone through. Oh, yeah. That felt like such a tortured script throughout the whole thing. They wanted to pack in so much Mm -hmm. into this movie that I think it sacrificed some of that, like, flow and rhythm. And because you're just constantly being hammered with things happening, you don't really get time to sit back and be like, but am I in, like am I enjoying the story here? Do I like these characters? Who are these people? Like the new people? It relies so much on you already being in love with the main cast from the first movie that it doesn't give you any time to really spend like time with them and like just like like learn new things about them. Well, it doesn't really start from a baseline. The baseline right. is you saw Frozen. Yeah, you saw Frozen, you know everything that happened. So even you know what everyone then, is. But even then, though, the movie does, goes out of its way several times to remind you of stuff that happened in Frozen. Mm-hmm. So the whole Olaf sequence. Yeah, it's almost like a self-defeating kind of thing to me where like, I was like, this is unnecessary. You know you could pretty much rely on an audience seeing Frozen 2 has understood everything that's happened in Frozen 1. And I think that's where the executive went, well, yeah. what if they didn't see it? It's like, no, that's literally impossible. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I really, I like, reflecting back on it, it was a fun time at the movies and there was a lot of cool stuff happening. But, man, I want to know, avert, like, I want to see those past drafts. Mm-hmm. I want to see what was on the cutting room floor. I want to see what they sacrificed to, like, make this just, like, a thing, a moment. And especially curious about, there's a song that Elsa sings in this thing that I swear, with lyrical content and with the drama of it, at some point, there was a draft where she was singing to a person. Okay. That's is it the end? Is it the end one? Near the end? It's yeah. the big self-realization that yes. she has. The, there are lyrics in there where she's talking about... I mean, obviously, the ice powers have always been a metaphor for mm-hmm. something. But it's never never like necessarily been clear what it is for. Right. But man, there are lyrics in this thing where she like she literally says... I knew the whole like whole time I wasn't like everybody else. And I'm like, there had to be a time where there was going to be another thing that we were going to learn about Elsa. And I think the internet knew what that was going to be. Or are you privy to the whole internet theory about Elsa uh, was going to supposedly have a girlfriend in this movie? Um, I believe that was the initial rumors. Yeah. I'm really curious about how that rumor started because... 
I feel like that would have been like something they could have just inserted into the script and it would have worked perfectly. Like, I get that they ended up twisting it in the mm-hmm. final draft, being like, oh, she discovered herself because she finds, insert thing here, no, insert spoiler here, in, insert spoiler place here. And, like, I almost, I can see that maybe going a different way in a prior draft. And it kind of disappoints me the way that they kind of had to fix it. Like I said, I wonder if how many executives got into this and be like, we're a Disney brand. Yeah. We can't necessarily do this. I wonder. I want to say I did hear that rumor initially, or that was what it the was internet was championing for. Yeah, like a year or two after the initial release of the uh, Frozen. Right, and like, and thus I kind of waited for the uh, the credits to see where, like, like what we were dealing with, like story wise. Mm-hmm. So Jennifer Lee gets the sole credit for screenplay. Okay. What about story? But story has five people. There it is. And that's the thing. It's like, okay, so this was something that was probably took them a while. And sure enough, I looked up a, um, I was curious. I looked up the Wikipedia Mm -hmm. and in the Wikipedia article in the production section, it does say that that musical number was the last piece of the film animated because they kept doing story revisions on it. And I'm like, yep. Something's up with it. Yep. See, Something was weird about it. The same thing happened with Toy Story 4, where yeah. they had five, six different story by credits. Yeah. And, like, that's not a necessarily a bad thing. It's just, it's just um, to me, Frozen 2 overall felt like the formula that they've been using for Avengers and Star Wars being used in an animated film. Hmm. It got that kind of vibe for me, which is not a bad thing. Those are good movies. Yeah. But it made me feel like, oh, this is just how the Disney story trust now treats ensemble films. That's just how all of them are. There's a directive from the top. There's a checklist almost, it feels like. That they're (laughs) like, this is how we do it because this is what's worked. Here's the proven formula. This is how we make an ensemble film. Established franchise. We don't want to fuck up because... Literally, it probably brings in a billion dollars every year. Oh, yeah, easily. Still, easily. So, yeah, I mean, this whole, uh, this was an enjoyable movie. I don't know if I like it more or about the same as Frozen 1. I still think that Moana is better than both of them. Yes. Um, yeah. But, man, after they started talking about water and the theories about water in that film, I was like, Moana crossover, please, make it happen. <laughs> Moana crossover, please. But we'll see if that ever happens. But then, but then we moved theaters and we saw our second film. Oh, uh, I was going to ask you something. About Frozen real quick? Yes. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. What would you think about um, Lost in the Woods? <laughs> it was really funny. Yeah. But the whole time I was thinking, who is this for? Is it <laughs> okay. for the parents? Okay. Because it's not even really for the parents. It's like, because even for parents of children now, they were children of like... Maybe the late 80s, but, like, maybe the early 90s at this point. Yeah. So, referencing ancient hair metal videos from the 80s. Thank you. Who is this for? Thank you. Who is it for, though? I love the sound, but yeah, the, whole visual, the whole visual gag It's such it. a specific reference. Yes. Like, why? Like, why is this in this movie? I'm not sure. But Christy, uh, Christy got a, hit, a kick out of it, though. She thought it was the funniest. Okay. 
It was, it was funny, and I, I see, like, what they were going for, but man, it just, who, who, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, Did you get at least get a kick out of the um, song covers for the credits? Yeah, yeah, I was like, I, I think I even uh, looked over at her and I said, man, did you ever think that there would be a Weezer song playing after a Disney animated film? She said yes. And I said, okay, well, I didn't. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a good time. Yeah. But man, it was not as much of a good time as the second movie we saw. Okay, so like you said, double feature. Double feature. We then went into Knives Out. Okay, so you went in yeah. to Knives Out. So all I knew about that thing was what you had said on the podcast. And I'm that glad you should go see it. Yeah, and I'm glad that I didn't know anything else about it because I encourage uh, everyone listening to this that doesn't know anything about Knives Out, just go see it. Trust mm-hmm. me. I literally said that, said that to my dad on the phone just a moment ago. Okay. I said, if next time you guys go to see the movies, go see Knives Out. Man, that was fun. It's just a ride, roller coaster ride from start to finish. I didn't see a single twist coming. I thought I had something figured out towards the end. What? I cannot say because I don't want to spoil it for people. I already saw it. I know. I, I spoiled it it's for It's been out for a month. Okay, I want yes. them to go in clean, remember? Okay, yes. You want to go in clean. I'll tell you after. But like, okay. I had a theory, and I was like slightly wrong. Okay. I was like slightly wrong about it. I was on the right track, but I was slightly wrong. See, that's how I felt yeah. most of the film. Mm-hmm. And that is the sign of a really great script, mm-hmm. is that... Ryan Johnson was able to anticipate everything the audience was going to think. Yes. And that's what makes the twists work every single time. Is that it's like, it's kind of what you thought it was going to be, but then there's like an additional thing that completely changes everything. And like that, just the construction of this thing is just incredible. And every step of the way, you're just like, man, just, I'm just in awe of this script. I will eat some sort of hat if this doesn't win Best Screenplay. The, um, you may end up eating hat because <laughs> this is also going up against us earlier this year, which was also a great screenplay. Yeah, but I think this—I I think this can take it. Uh, Knives Out is nominated keep for Golden mind, Globes. Keep in mind, I've never gotten original screenplay wrong when I predicted Oscar nomination or winners. But <laughs> well, we will uh, get those nominations. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there when we get there. When we but, get there, but, but uh, I, I know Knives Out is nominated for best picture for one of the Golden Globes. But I would not be surprised if this uh, this is this is honored with writing and maybe not anything else, but probably writing. Mm-hmm. But man, yeah. Um, I really had a, a fun time with it. Um, again, just like you said last week, I cannot say much more mm-hmm. because anything more would give away what this thing is and why it works so well. The reason it works is because of the machinery it sets up and then let's ride. And then you just have to be there to watch it. Now, I said Frozen 2 also had a bunch of stuff happening back-to-back. There's a big difference, though. There are a lot of times where Knives Out actually slows down, lets the characters breathe, mm-hmm. lets you and the audience breathe, and just learn about the, the, the family. And I think that's key, and the reason why it works as well as it does, because it gives you the chance to like really know everybody's motives, everybody inside out, so that way when things start going crazy... Mm-hmm. You you actually know like who you're rooting for and who you're not rooting for. Right. It's like really clever how they do it and how they like trick you into thinking somebody's cool and then immediately later just you realize how wrong you were. 
how wrong yeah. everyone is. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, um, so yeah, def- that's a definite go see it. Yeah, I don't, I don't need to tell you that. I mean, I already saw it. Yeah. yeah so out there in podcast land, if you have not seen yes. that, um, do yourself a favor. I will say this though: when we do get to our end of the year list, I think yeah. that is when we can go spoiler free. Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just for now, I want because I'm give a feeling some people some time to this see. will be on it will be on their a on list. the list. Yes. <laughs> Needless to say. <laughs> Uh, all right, cool. Now, you have this in television thoughts, but I'm going to make you talk about it now because it is a, is a movie. Okay. You watched The Irishman. Okay, I watched The Irishman. Yeah, I know you have it in Netflix. No, it's yes. on Netflix. The, the Billy Irishman. The Billy Irishman. It is a film, so yes. a, it, it belongs in this segment. All right, I mean, Martin Scorsese didn't make it, even though it is on Netflix. Yeah. Okay, so, um, The Irishman. So what's up with that Irishman? That Irishman is a long film. <laughs> It is three hours long, Ugh. and it makes you feel all three hours long. I bet. It reminded... It's funny that Scorsese did this, and maybe not as funny that Scorsese did this, because it reminded okay. me of a cross between Goodfellas uh-huh. and Casino. That checks That checks out? That checks out. Because <laughs> it deals with the mob. Yeah. It deals with some shady stuff. It deals with people getting hurt over it, and it deals with like one big overarching theme of power. Uh-huh. And control of power, and how you rise up to get power, and how you maintain that power. And it is beautifully shot. Mm-hmm. It is beautifully acted. Robert De Niro can act till the day he dies, and he probably will because of this <laughs> um, technology of de aging technology that's yeah. used throughout the film. But that being said, I did notice that some parts during the film that because they use a lot of the de aging technology. It only de-ages the bot, the the face and the physical features, uh-huh. and not necessarily the body movement. Because at a point, you can tell <laughs> that's an old man kicking someone. Yeah, that's an old man trying to throw a punch. <laughs> yeah, they can't fix that in post. No, you cannot fix that in post. <laughs> but that being said, the whole gravitas that he uh-huh. brings to the role is definitely shown throughout this film. Same with Al Pacino. Um, He's just really, really great in this film. At first, I didn't realize that was Al Pacino. Then I realized, wait, Al Pacino is in this film, isn't he? Oh, (laughs) wait, that's him! Yeah. Uh, But it's an overall good film. It's just a long film, and I think it being long actually hurts it. Yeah. Because most of the time, we don't get more information. Unlike Casino, which is also a three-hour film, we are constantly getting more information. And we're also constantly seeing things happen to these characters that influence their next decisions. That's not necessarily the case with the Irishman. I can like there are parts where yes, clearly we need to establish this friendship. We need to establish this conflict. But how much do you actually need to have established this friendship Mm -hmm. to establish that they're friends? (laughs) <laughs> How much do we have to establish this yeah. conflict to itself to establish there's clearly a conflict here. Right. Um, it's a, like I said, it's a good film. It's, I can definitely see why it's getting all the buzz about it. It just feels like a really long film. It definitely feels like a really long film. I think maybe watching <laughs> Does it this feel like a really long film. It doesn't feel like a really long film. I think <laughs> maybe watching this in a theater setting uh-huh. might feel as 
might not feel as long. Yeah. But that being said, it's just so goddamn long. <laughs> it's just so goddamn unnecessary long. Yeah. Like, we're, I'm waiting for something to happen. It's like, okay, so it's not going to happen here. <laughs> okay, so we're going to do this bit now. Like, I think maybe because I don't have that much of a retrospective insight into the whole Jimmy Hoffa thing. Oh, yeah. Because that's what it mainly centers around. Jimmy Hoffa and his rise and fall and death and all that stuff played mm-hmm. by um, Al Pacino. Yeah. So it's... It goes through everything. It goes through all that, but it's more about Jimmy Hoffa than it is about uh, Robert Niro's character oh, as okay. the Irishman. <laughs> he just couldn't call it Jimmy Hoffa. Well, I, I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> well, no, because like the film is about him, though. It's about the Irishman and how this basically nobody rose up through the um, northeast. Uh, mob I'll, I'll just call him the mob mm-hmm. there's no easy way to get around that the mob <laughs> a mob a mob that mob some <laughs> mobs three mobs and basically how they how they worked it to intertwine it with Jimmy Hoffa and why Jimmy Hoffa was a big name how they got into his inner circle and how they presumably um, caused his death. No spoiler there. Jimmy Hoffa's dead. One of the great big mysteries of where is Jimmy Hoffa's body. Right. Um, this film attempts to answer all of that. Um, it is based off a book, off the biography of the of the Irishman, of Frank. Yeah. Uh, but it's just so goddamn long. Like, I cannot, be, I cannot get over how long this Apparently, film is. I'm noticing that. Um, so, stream it, but with caution, because this thing is long, and it feels long. It's shot great, it's acted beautifully, like, top notches everywhere, except in the editing, because it's so damn long. So, in the the patented media boat scale, you were required to say stream it. (laughs) I have to say stream it, because it is a streaming thing, but I also have to say, um, prepare yourself. Because three hours of this thing is long. And it's not like um, Avengers where it's three hours, but it's a good three hours. It doesn't feel like three hours. Yeah. No. This makes it feel like three hours. And that's just because it's also Scorsese's style of drawing stuff out, letting things linger, letting things play out, letting the actors live in that scene and have it drawn out longer than, than it normally would or than you would cut it. But... Having that drawn out also get, makes you feel more for the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, how much do I need to feel for them to get across what you're trying to say? I feel like the the conversations we're having on all three movies that we talked about this podcast are all very different ideas of what pacing a film should be like. Yeah, they are. <laughs> <laughs> so let this be a lesson to you, audience. Uh, speaking of pacing, yes. we should probably pick up the pace because we're half an hour into this thing. And, and we and haven't left... We haven't even talked about news yet. We haven't gotten into any news yet. Well, let's do it then. Let's talk about movie news. Okay. Our first story takes us to Warner Brothers Studio. Because there's been a shuffle of release dates. Don't you love that? All right. So what am I looking forward to? 
Well, first up, the live-action Akira film is being replaced by Matrix 4 for the release date May 21st, 2021. So that's in two years. Well, I guess... Yeah. Do we want to start calling it one year since it's we're It's a year, basically, at this point. Alright. Uh, but yeah, uh, this is kind of surprising, considering Matrix 4 was only just announced yes. about a couple months ago. Uh, but do also note that um, Taika Waititi, who was directing the Akira film, uh-huh. is no longer able to direct it uh, as he's currently going to direct Marvel's Thor, Love right. and Thunder. Right. Um, so that kind of takes precedent over yeah. Akira. Got pushed back because of that. Yes. Other, uh, Disney pulled dibs. Yeah. Other films set to release that May... Included include Disney's Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, uh, Disney's Cruella, and DreamWorks's Spirit Riding Free, which I believe is a movie adaptation of the currently streaming Spirit Kids show that is in also based on the Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron film that came out in the early two thousands. That is correct. <laughs> yes. All of that is indeed correct. It's crazy. Uh, does that make that, by default, a sequel to Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron? Uh, or is it no. a separate IP, so it doesn't matter? I'm not sure if it's a sep- yeah. necessarily a separate IP. I don't know how that works. But it is a movie based off a TV, based off a movie, based <laughs> off a book. Yeah. Uh, which means it is slowly creeping <laughs> into... Uh, oh, God, what's that film? Uh, where's... What was that film? Uh, what? <laughs> Maybe Wizard of Oz? No. No. I'm thinking of something yeah, else. I don't, I don't know. That was a book that turned into a movie. <laughs> that got turned into a TV. <laughs> that turned, into a movie turned back into a movie. Yeah, I don't remember. Uh, but yeah, they uh, Warner Brothers also announced that the Flash solo film will have a July 1st, 2022 release. Okay, so that's three yes, years in the even future. Few, further in the future, with Ezra Miller reprising his role from Justice League. Uh, we're assuming Ezra Miller will look the same, Yeah, but also it. probably not. Hey, CG exists. Hey, CG exists. The we other, saw the de-aging in yeah. Irishman. The other DC film getting a release date is Shazam 2, set for April 1st, 2022. No, that is not an April Fool's joke. Nope. Although I'm sure they will make April Fool's yeah. joke on that film. In addition, an MGM co-produced Sesame Street film will move to January 14th, 2020, the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday weekend of next January. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. I didn't know that was coming up, but that's coming up very soon. Uh, next January, 2021. You have 2020 here, so... For what, for what film? For the Sesame Street film. Uh, that can't be right, because I've heard nothing about this. I've heard nothing now. about this, too. So, let's just say this is probably a typo. It might be 2021. Uh, and lastly, The Conjuring, colon, The Devil Made Me Do It. Yeah, it did. Uh, this is the fourth film in the Conjuring franchise. Will be released September 11th, 2020. That is next year. Yes. With Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga once again reprising their roles as the Warren siblings. So look forward to that. All those movies and more in the coming years. Yep. Uh, Warner Brothers getting out earlier than this uh, release date. Yeah, good to do it ahead of time. Yeah, uh, this also like secures like it, it's putting their their footprint down for the next two years. Yeah, so they they need to get out ahead, especially in front of Disney here. For sure, yeah. Even though Disney already has like a bunch of release date slots reserved, 
like we said, for um, Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness. Yeah. So Warner Brothers is kind of playing catch up here. But then again, these are films three years in the future, two, three years that may or may not actually hit those release dates. We'll see. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. Yeah, okay. Our next story is about the National Film Registry because it's that time of year. It's that time of year. We do this every year. So, the Library of Congress has unveiled its annual selection of 25 films added to the National Film Registry. But this year, something that's notable about these movies is that seven of these titles are directed by women. Among those making the cut include Boys Don't Cry, Before Stonewall, Girlfriends, My Name is Una, A New Leaf, uh, which is notable for having, of course, the first woman to write, direct, and star in a major, major American studio film, Elaine May. Mm. Uh, Real Women Have Curves is also in there. And I Am Somebody. Other films in this list include Amadeus, Clerks, The Last Waltz, speaking of Scorsese, yep. Old Yeller, Platoon, Purple Rain, She's Gotta Have It, and Sleeping Beauty. Those are some pretty good films. I would say, yeah. I would say, yeah. That, that sounds like a really good... Solid list. Solid list there. Uh, any, yeah, like I said, they only do 25 every year. Yeah. Currently, it's up to 375, I think, films in yeah, total. Okay. Uh, which means next year, it'll hit 400. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what they add on there. Yeah. Um, do note that the most... Or latest, I guess. Yeah, the latest time window on that is 2003 film. Okay. So nothing after 2003 has been in the list yet. Yes. But we'll see next year. We'll see sense. next year. Um, probably Lord of the Rings somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe at some point. Someday. At some point. Alright. That's it for movie news. Uh, we did our thoughts already. So that means we get to cram right on into television. Alright. We always start television with sports. Sports Dude. is happening. Sports. Sports corner. First up in the sports corner we have our Heisman Award winner. Yes. And it was indeed Joe Burrows. Yes. Uh, the odds-on favorite did win the Heisman Trophy. Yep. Congratulations, LSU, for creating yet another Heisman Trophy winner. I expect him to now lose in the first round of the playoffs because that is what happens <laughs> with happens Heisman Trophy winners. Always. It's the finals of your fantasy football leagues this week. It is. Uh, if you made it to the championship, like I did, oh, you are either celebrating or you are crying, but either way, this is the last week anyone can hold final or fantasy football. Final fantasy football. Final fantasy football. Is my anyone favorite. can hold fantasy football or talk about it because it's the last week. Yeah. And then we're done. And then we just enjoy actual football playoffs because all the yes. good teams will have survived. And speaking of those, what teams are going to be in your NFL playoffs? Um, I don't know what teams are going to be my NFL playoffs. <laughs> But here are the NFL playoffs. Here are the NFL playoffs. So we have the, in the AFC, the Ravens, Chiefs, Patriots, and Bills are in your running for the playoffs. Uh, they have all secured a slot in the playoffs. Yes. Um, but we still need to play out yes. where they're going to lie when they one through eight. Yes. I am shocked to see that. I didn't realize the Bills were good this year. The Bills <laughs> and the Patriots have the same record. Oh, uh, okay. And they play this week. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, Which man. Which means someone is going to take that uh, NFC East title. Please, please lose, Patriots. Please lose. Also, yes, please lose, because I have Devin Singletary, <laughs> the running back, that you need to do great <laughs> this week. There you go. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the NFC, the Saints, the Packers, the Seahawks, and the 49ers are in your playoff 
Yeah, it is what it is. Yes, uh, but that also doesn't include the most likely <laughs> NFL um, MVP in Lamar Jackson. As ah. this past week, he officially, like, he officially, like, um, has the most rushing yards for a quarterback passing Michael Vick. Yeah. At over a uh, thousand. 1,050 yards. Wow, jeez. Closing it on 1,100 yards, rushing as a quarterback. That's pretty crazy. It is definitely crazy. <laughs> so, uh, who do you think uh, are the favorites going into these races here? Drew Brees is actually the favorite <laughs> because Drew Brees, on Monday night, set a record passing both Peyton Manning and Tom Brady for the most touchdown passes wow. by a quarterback in the NFL. Good yeah. I was talking about teams, though. Oh. Yeah. No, Saints are... Yeah, the Saints? Yeah. Okay. It's uh, Saints and Baltimore. Okay. Um, the Niners were in the talk originally, but they've slipped the last... They haven't looked as well the last two yeah. games. But man, I would love to see a Deep South Super Bowl. A Deep South? Yeah. Falcons? Or... I mean, I mean, a South Super Bowl, I guess. If With that who? Was, if, that, if it was Ravens Saints... Do you know where Ravens are? Maryland. Baltimore, Maryland. Yeah, that's not the South. south. That is the South. No, it's not not the South. It's South-ish. It's East. It's like Mid-East. No, that's like the South. It's like Washington, D.C. That's not the South. We got maps all day. (laughs) (laughs) I know where Washington, D.C. is. Anyway. Anyways, uh, yeah, two weeks left of the regular season. Um, Week 16 is up here. We will see everyone play, and we'll have the clearest picture of who gets first round buys. So expect week 17 for not everyone to play, as teams who are already in the playoffs or teams who get those buys won't be playing all their players, which is why fantasy football ends at week 16. Cool. Well, we will see in the coming weeks. Yep. All right. Anything else in sports before we move on? Uh, one quick thing in sports. Uh, I heard this on the radio today. A woman has beaten a man in professional... <laughs> I was say, is that the end of that sentence? Period. Full stop. Okay. Uh, in dart throwing. Uh, oh. In the uh, International Dart Championship in Germany. Cool. Yeah. It's neat. Yeah. I heard that. I was like, oh, that's neat. It's like a Billie Jean King thing. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. But darts. With darts. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think that's all I have for sports. Okay, let's move on then into television news. So here's a couple of uh, stories that are only kind of related to television. Uh, yes. <laughs> Must have been a slow week. It was definitely a slow <laughs> week. We're in yeah. the end of uh, December here. Yeah. It's a slow ass week. Stopped caring about TV. Pretty much. <laughs> all right. Um, our first story takes us to the good old United Kingdom, uh, specifically Britain. As, uh, as you may or may not know, if you follow world events, uh, they elected a, I would say new, but they elected the same prime minister, uh, Boris Johnson, uh, uh, gets well, another term. Boris Johnson was not elected initially, no. yes. but people said, eh, he likes what, he, I like what he's saying, which oh. is all wrong and poppycock. <laughs> 
It seemed like, yeah, it seemed like uh, just the, not enough of the young people showed up to vote, and thus we got the old fogey in. in, in uh, so take notes, uh, people, for next year, everyone. But uh, yeah, the new uh, prime minister is looking at abolishing the TV license fee. Uh, once the recent election is finalized. Now, this is a UK thing. Yeah, specifically. Johnson suggested that the license fee, which is guaranteed to continue until at least 2027, was a general tax that could no longer be justified when other media organizations had found other ways of funding themselves. The TV license fee, in case you're not British, <laughs> is a charge to watch live TV, including BBC channels, it's what keeps the BBC on the air it's, because it is funded by that tax. Yes, it is funded by viewers like you. Literally, but not voluntarily like PB, like PBS is here. Yes. It is 100% something that the, your tax dollars pay for in Britain. Mm-hmm. Uh, the BBC has multiple channels and generally higher quality programming because it doesn't have to cater to advertisers, which has always been the argument for why public, public media matters. Mm-hmm. The BBC uh, says it will have $270 million less to spend if the government makes good on this uh, li- license threat. So if this pulls, uh, they might have to pull content, they might have to uh, lower quality standards, or they might have to figure out alternatives uh, because it'll be very, very hard to run the BBC like they've had. Yes, and do note that this is regular BBC programming, not yeah. just BBC News so- or, or um, it's everything. It's everything. It's, everything it's your Downton Abbey. This is your BBC of news and your Doctor Who. Yeah, and your Doctor Who. Yeah, it's everything and Luther. Yeah, and your Luther. So think about it yourselfo when you when you're uh, uh, voting. Uh, just think about it yourselfo. Actually, but, you know what? If you're doing anything, just think about it yourselfo. It'll make you feel better. Yeah, he me. does. It works for me. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's move on. Uh, to a similarly gross man, but here in the United States. Ah, yes. Mr. Weinstein. All right. So after two years of legal battles, Harvey Weinstein and the board of, director, uh, board of his bankrupt film studio have reached a tentative $25 million settlement agreement with dozens of alleged sexual misconduct victims um, in the suits that we've discussed here on this podcast. A deal that would not require the Hollywood producer to admit wrongdoing or pay anything to his accusers himself. Yeah. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> More than 30 actresses and former Weinstein employees who have all accused him of offenses ranging from sexual harassment to literal rape would share in the payout. The bill would be paid by insurance companies representing the producer's former studio, but because the business is in bankruptcy proceedings, the women have had to make their claims along with its creditors. The payout to the accusers would be part of an overall $47 million settlement intended to close out the company's obligations. The criminal charges are still ongoing, and his trial begins in January. This is simply settling these separate civil lawsuits against him. Right. This, that's the big caveat here, is yeah. that even though it says that he does... That he admits no wrongdoing. That's in these individual civil cases. Because uh, he's choosing no, no, to No, no, this is part of the class action yeah. lawsuit. The, yeah, these individual class action lawsuit thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Which is separate. It, that's what it is. Um, yeah. The actual, like, criminal case, which is taking place in New York, is still ongoing. And there he is when he will go to jail. Yeah. So I heard some NPR reporting about this mm-hmm. uh, on the radio. And uh, they were quick to point out that not all the women that were involved in this class action suit have signed and agreed to this. Some right. are basically saying, well, no, this is not good enough. 
I refuse to basically um, like take the money when he's basically not admitting fault and that he's not paying out of his own pocket. But as mentioned, more than 30 people did uh, sign this mm-hmm. and agreed for the payout. So I guess it's the question about whether or not you believe that there will be some sort of uh, like payment later or if you just want to take money now. Right. Uh, it's also meant to set up a fund for any future victims who decide to come forward as well. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. Supposedly. Right. But, we'll but also because, I feel like because this was leveled against the studio and not him himself is why it's going through the insurance. Right. Because it's basically obligations of the studio, not obligations of the man. Right. Himself. So, yeah, I don't know. This is kind of like, obviously this is a half step. Like, mm-hmm. it's not... Uh, it's good that some of the women and people uh, that were like accusing him are getting some sort of compensation, but it's not enough. It's too little, and it sucks that it's done in a way that doesn't like, you know, end with him actually losing anything out of this. Yeah, is that it was company proceedings that were already happening. Well, he didn't lose any money because yeah. it got paid through insurance right. and the company. Yeah. And he didn't have to admit anything at fault here. So, yeah, all we can hope for is that the trials don't go his way. Mm-hmm. But we'll find that out next year. All right. That's it for that story, which means we get to move on. Unless you have any television thoughts this week. I do have television thoughts this week. Okay. Um, oh, I thought about how there's nothing on television. No. Um, <laughs> we had the... Season, the season finale of The Watchmen. Ah. And I watched The you Watchmen. watched The Watchmen? I am the one who watched The Watchmen. I knew it. Uh, surprise. It was me the whole time. It was you. And all of you listeners uh-huh. were in on it, too. You're all complicit in it. Yeah. Uh, actually, <laughs> I say that because that's uh-huh. basically what... This, that's basically what the series points at, is everyone is complicit in some sort of way. Uh-huh. Um... This whole basically arc of this of the Watchmen is a sequel to that of the comic books and of the movie, and basically a Watchmen of today, <laughs> and how like all those effects that took place in 1985 played out and basically formed and shaped the world that these characters live in today. Uh-huh. It's also about like Doctor Manhattan, shocker as he is basically. <laughs> Both the whole crux of and god of this universe. Yeah. Uh, so, as with most things related to Watchmen, it's about a per a blue penis. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> but also, but also about Doctor Manhattan and yeah. either controlling Doctor Manhattan or taking his powers and basically trying to kill a god. Uh-huh. Or it's it's never about worshipping the god. It's always about taking the god down or becoming the god. Mm-hmm. Which is both weird and yet cynical at the same time. And I loved it for it. Yeah. Um, this whole thing has a lot of twists and turns thrown throughout it. And it weirdly gave the exact personification of what Dr. Manhattan perceives time and it's funny that you can do that in a tv setting where you can have both flashbacks and flash forwards happen at the exact same time <laughs> yeah and only in a tv slash movie in a cinematic setting 
because that's how he experiences time, you know, whereas everyone else doesn't. It's just linear. But when you're able to play with that, going both forwards and backwards, and knowledge that is not known but is known but will be known. Yeah. <laughs> that's how Dr. Manhattan, like, sees everything. And it's both a cool concept. I'm glad they're able to play it out that way. But at the same time, it also perpetuated Damon Lindelof's mystery box <laughs> yeah. of everything. It's like, ah, I see why we do it in this way. And I see why everything is done this way. But at the same time, it made me... It definitely did its purpose and make me want to watch more episodes to unravel said mystery. Was it a yeah. good mystery? <laughs> That's okay. for de- debate. Yeah. Um, this uh, David Lindelof went on record saying that this was meant to be a one-shot, a one-season one-shot. Um, should And he doesn't know if it'll be picked up for a second season. Mm. He'll okay. talk to HBO about that. After, in the beginning of the new year. I would not be surprised if it comes back. I wouldn't be surprised if it comes back either. Yeah, considering. But if it does come back, he did note that it would... That it could take place in any time period, whether it be in the past or continuing the story in the future or in the present yeah. day. They could um, do all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, it'd be really weird if it does continue in the present day. Because everything seems to hit a finality, and that's part of like what it is. It's a finality of this season, of this microcosm of events, yeah. of this basically TV comic book. Yeah. It's a good show. Um, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I'm not as obsessed with it like I was with other shows where I want wanted another season. I wanted more. Yeah. Uh, David Lindoff did say that if it does get a second season, he doesn't necessarily want to be the showrunner for it, that he'd like to hand it off to someone else okay. to do it and have their own take on the Watchmen series. Interesting. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. It's a good show. Uh, it's not the best show of 2019 by any stance. Uh-huh. But it is a show that definitely played a lot with... Um, with technology and today and, like, the idea of a god walking amongst us. It's good. It's, it's, good. it's a good show. Yeah, I've heard very mixed things. Yeah. I feel like people... It's hard are, for me to say you need to watch this. Yeah, it's, it's, I feel like people on this thing are either extremely negative or extremely positive. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't know if this is good or not. <laughs> if it's extremely negative, I have a feeling that's because it directly attacks heavily into uh, conservative views and mm. radicalization and like what it means to have these strong beliefs without necessarily having any proof. Mm. Interesting. Also, government conspiracy theories run amok throughout this thing. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Any other uh, TV thoughts? Anything else happening on television or can we move on? I think we can move on. I think All right. Good. Cool. Let's talk about cancellations and renewals. Okay, what am I no longer watching? Uh, a lot of stuff, apparently. Although there are some stuff that you will continue to watch. Such as, on Comedy Central, they're renewing Good Talk with Anthony Je- Jeselnik for the second season. I have a feeling he had a different show before that. I think he did, yes. Prime Video is bringing back Marvelous Mrs. Maisel for a fourth season. Its third season just premiered this week. Mm-hmm. 
Brockmire on IFC will be getting a fourth season, but it will be its last. Aww. Are, are yay? I don't know. How do we feel about Harry Shearer yet? That's not Harry Shearer. That's Hank Azaria. That's Hank Azaria. The other okay. one. <laughs> the other one. How do we feel about Hank Azaria? Yeah. Uh, people like him. Okay. Um, on ABC, they've canceled Reef Break after one season. Whatever that was. Apparently I don't know. Broke. <laughs> Netflix is bringing back Special for a second season. It's so special. Yeah, apparently. CBS All Access has renewed Star Trek Picard for a second season before its premiere. Uh, I guess there's a lot of buzz about it. So another uh, order. We'll see. And Daybreak on Netflix was canceled after one season. I want to say that was based off the movie of the same name of the vampires. Right. And lastly, Van Helsing. Its fifth season will be its last on sci-fi. Also about vampires? Also about vampires. I think, I think Van Helsing is a vampire? Van, no, Van or, Helsing kills vampires. He's a, yeah, I know he's, he's a the monster dude hunter. He's call in to call, kill the monster. Yeah, I know he's a monster hunter. Yeah, he, he's, yes, he's a monster hunter. Yes. World. World. Anyway. And two and three. <laughs> that's it. Uh, for cancellations, renewals, one death this week. Although that's not true. There's one that you missed that I'll mention. Okay. But, uh, Chewy? Chewy? Chewy. Chewy. Bravo, Chewy age 63, Bravo. a Mexican-American actor and TV personality, uh, was in things such as Chelsea Lately and After Lately. Uh, he was Chelsea Handler's um, basically go-to comedian. Uh, okay. Um, he was on the show whenever she would mention Chewy um, or shout out to Chewy. Okay. It was also it was in I reference to him. I think he was also a producer it. on the yeah. show. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. One you missed is. Um, French New Wave star Anna Karenina died. You mean Anna Karenina? No, not the Russian novel. Oh. <laughs> One less in. <laughs> Anna Karenina. 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 Anna Karenina. Anna Karenina. Yeah, she was um, in a lot of French New Wave stuff in the 60s. Uh, she did the occasional acting thing after that, but she's mostly known for that period of time. But yeah, okay. uh, one of... One of uh, one of uh, Godard's go to go to actresses back in the day. Okay, I may have seen that name and thought yes. the Anna Karenina no, thing. No, <laughs> yeah, not to be confused with Anna Karenina, yes. which is the Russian novel. Right. <laughs> That's probably why I saw it and didn't yeah. put it on it. Very different. Yeah. All right, moving on. We get to talk about music, which means I hand this over to you. Uh, okay, we always start music with the Billboard, and we start the Billboard. <laughs> With the Hot 100. And what a week it is to talk about singles, because guess what, guys? It's Christmas time. It's definitely Christmas time, as All I Want for Christmas is You Mm -hmm. jumps back up to number one. You say back, but we'll get to that later in news. Well, I mean, it was at number two last week. Yeah, uh, yeah. we'll get to something about about the the significance of that uh, in our news. Yes. At number two, we have Circles by Post Malone. Yep. Number three. The Christmas classic. <laughs> Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree yeah. by Brenda Lee. Yes. Uh, number four, Someone You Love by Louis Capaldi. <laughs> and number five, Good As Hell by Lizzo. So yeah, a mix of uh, Christmas. those Christmas classics and the current hits. Rockin' Around the Christmas I know. Tree. Yeah, top five single. Wow. Literally from... That's how you know it's Christmas yeah, time. Yeah, from a long time ago. I would say 50 years? Uh, yeah, yeah. Roughly? Yeah, roughly yeah. 50 years ago. Okay. What else? Uh, for the Billboard 200, your album's, album's chart. chart. What do we got? We have Please Excuse Me 
for being antisocial. Okay. By Roddy Rich. To who? Who? By the who? Oh. oh. Uh, three romance by Camila Cabela. Yep. Four Hollywood's bleeding by Post Malone, and five bad vibes forever by XXX Temptation. Yeah, another posthumous. Mr. Tentacoin. Uh, uh, I thought Juice World would get a bump here. No, apparently uh, that will be next week. That'll be next week. Remember, it's always delayed by a week. Yes, so I, I think thought the this was the delayed of that week. Streaming crazy stuff. Well, I think we'll see it next week. Okay, I thought Either that was that or the Christmas stuff was just so strong that any gains it had just knocked off by the Christmas stuff. Okay. Hmm. So yeah. Um, well, if you don't like those albums, that sucks because there's, there's nothing <laughs> coming out this week. <laughs> there's nothing coming this week. There's nothing coming next week. Yeah. We will have no new albums. For the rest of December. For the rest of the year. So, yeah, I'm sorry if you needed something to listen to. But if you need a guide to what to listen to, well, in our year-end wrap-up specials, we'll do a whole one about albums. And we'll tell you the best albums of the year were. Yes. Uh, you'll just have to wait a to bit. wait a little bit to hear our yeah. thoughts on albums of the year. Yes. Uh, but... We still have news to cover. We do. And we as you do. mentioned, as you tried to hint at, yes. Mariah Carey's yes. All I Want for Christmas is You um, is in the news. Well, although most pop fans probably assume it's reached the milestone uh-huh. years or decades ago, Mariah's holiday staple, All I Want for Christmas is You, is the number one song in the country by official acclamation for the first time in its 25-year yeah. history. Yeah. Topping both the Rolling Stones songs charts and the Billboard Hot 100 this week. It's the longest stretch of time that a song has taken to reach <laughs> number one on the Billboard side. <laughs> when All I Want was originally released back in 1994, it wasn't even eligible for the magazine's Hot 100 mm-hmm. because it wasn't commercially available as a physical single at the time. Though, it, uh, it made it to number 6 on the hot AC format <laughs> and to number 12 in overall airplay. Yeah. But nowhere close to number 1 until this week. No, it didn't even crack the top 5 back then. Yeah. Uh, after it was finally deemed eligible for the Hot 100, after a good number of years, it reached its peak on the chart last Christmas season yeah. at number 3. Yeah. As we noted, because Pentatonix would goddamn run everything. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, this is pretty cool. Like, and um, another story that came out of this is, I guess, the uh, co-writer of this song who wrote it with uh, Mariah Carey mm-hmm. apparently was in the like did an interview and talked about how they I guess they don't talk anymore. Like, yeah. they're not even like on good terms. But like, he was saying congratulations to her and that he was happy to see the song finally get its uh, get a uh, number one spot. Hmm. He's probably still bitter that it never reached number one. But yeah, 25 years after its original release. Pretty crazy. I'm not going to wait 25 years for a number one release. No. Or at least hold my breath that long. <laughs> but it's Mariah Carey. She can hold her breath for a very long time. <laughs> yeah, she can. Uh, it's surprising that it never hit number one. No, yeah, never. I mean, it is The like, rules were different back then. You had to have be a physical single in 94 to be counted, uh, counted as a single. It's not like things are now where everything's digital. Right. Yeah. Huh. All right. Weird. <laughs> All right, what else do we got in music news? In other music news, um, we should probably talk about Mariah Carey. Uh, talk about uh, 
the Academy Awards. Or yeah. the Oscars. In the music section. Weird, huh? Yeah. It was a slow music week. <laughs> it definitely was. Well, the Oscars shortlist was revealed today. Yes. Um, outlining remaining contenders in nine categories, which included Best Original Song and Score. And that's what we're talking about here. Yep. Credit the music branch for offering a few surprises in its choices for the year's best song. Including no fewer than five from Disney movies. Mm-hmm. And three from documentaries. Yeah. The 300-member music branch chose 15 songs from 75 entered this year and 15 scores from an eligibility list of 170. Both lists will be whittled down to five each when voting uh, for the nominations beginning January 2nd. Nominees will be announced on January 13th. There's your date. Yep. Uh, and the biggest surprise may be the omission of Beautiful Ghosts, which is the much-talked-about collaboration between Taylor Swift <laughs> and Andrew Lloyd Webber. But you have to think with their bid at getting this award. Right, as it is the only new song in Cats, <laughs> which I mentioned yeah. at the beginning of, right. of the podcast. Um, uh, Cats, of course, opens this upcoming weekend. Yep. Yep. Few Academy members have seen the Tom Hooper film. <laughs> uh, Elton John actually made it onto the song list twice. Yeah. Once with lyricist Bernie Taupin for I'm Gonna Love Me Again from Rocket Man, And then again with Tim Rice for Never Too Late, the end title song from The Lion King. Uh, Elton John has publicly distanced himself from the Lion King remake, so the inclusion of the <laughs> song raised some eyebrows. Yeah, I mean, this is a weird shortlist. Like, it might be an all-Disney category, which would be crazy. Um, would not be surprising. Yeah. Um, what is surprising, or what will be surprising, is if Alan Silvestri does not get nominated <laughs> for a score for the for Avengers Endgame. Yeah. Uh, the reason I bring that one up, and weirdly that one up, is because, fun fact, or rather, did you know? Did I know? Alan Silvestri has never won an Academy Award. I did not know that. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I mean, I believe he's been nominated. Yeah. But he's won. never actually won. Oh, when you think of all the scores he's done, yeah, he's done over a lot the of scores over the years. Uh, but yeah, never actually won an Academy Award. Could happen. Yeah, I found that out by watching one of the best films of the year and listening to the commentary. But I'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's Avengers Endgame. Spoiler alert! Uh, but I'll get to that when we do our end of the year list. Because yeah, good chance it'll make one or both of our lists. It may. Um, do you have any thoughts on music? Uh, no. Uh, like, uh, like we said, uh, releases kind of dried up, so I got nothing. I've got nothing, too. Like you said, yep. we're literally in the last the two year. weeks of the year. Yep. Um, all music lists have been submitted. You yep. have your top fives, your top tens, your top hundreds. Yep. Uh, songs of the year, album of the year, yep. albums of the decade, because it's the ninth, because we're in 2019. Yep. So... Look up for all that if you're at all interested in any of that stuff. And you know what else? What is just like that? Video games! Video games! And we start video games uh, with new releases. And just like music, 
There are none. There are none. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Play so what we, you got. Yep. Uh, so if you're looking for that Christmas holiday thing, it's already been released. Go yep. go, go buy and play it. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but hey, that means we can move right into the news then. Sure can. And first up was a bit of a shocking news. Uh, yeah, a bit of a kind of year-end surprise uh, from uh, one of our favorite video game companies. Uh, yes, Sony has announced a new official attachment for the PS4's DualShock 4 controller, a.k.a. the back button, uh-huh. which is a customizable accessory that will be releasing in February next year for $30. Oof. $30. What is this thing going to get me for $30? Well, find out. Well, the DualShock 4 back button attachment slots into the controller's headphone jack and provides two extra touch pads on the back of the device, which can be mapped to any of the 16 potential actions that can be traditionally performed via the game's pad face buttons and triggers. It's your hot it's your hotkeys, it's your shortcuts. Yeah. Um, in addition, the back button features an inbuilt OLED screen that represents real-time information on the assigned actions for each of the touchpad's buttons, <laughs> while a headphone jack at the bottom of the attachment ensures you can still listen to your games free of background noise while playing. PlayStation claims that the back button is highly customizable, allowing you to create, save, and switch between three different profiles so you can swap between controller configurations depending on the games best suited for each playstyle. Yeah. The product releases on February 14th, 2020 worldwide, which happens to be the same year as the release of Sony's next-gen console, the PS5, and its accompanying controller, yet to be officially named, but probably will be, the DualShock 5. So, I don't know how I feel about this thing. It seems like Sony Sony needed an answer for the Microsoft Pro Controller for the Xbox One. And this is what they came up with. A cheaper alternative that was optional where you could accentuate your controller experience with a slightly more customizable option. The thing that I have a problem with is, though, hiding it on the bottom of the controller... And putting an OLED screen that literally is just for a readout about what your buttons do, all of that seems kind of like a waste. It's also on the bottom of the back, so you yeah. can, really, can only touch it. You're not going to be looking at it. You're kind of. It'll be kind of hard to touch. I just... Part of me is like, yeah, this is a great idea in theory, but in practice, is anybody going to use this? Yes, uh, professional gamers. You know why? Okay. Because one of the big problems that Sony has had and why they don't like crossplay is because of Fortnite and um, Rocket League, well, mainly Fortnite and Apex Legends, uh-huh. where if you're playing against someone who has a pro controller on the Xbox uh-huh. who can easily map stuff to their controller, or is playing someone who has a keyboard who maps things to hotkeys, uh-huh. yeah. you're playing at a slower rate. I guess. And that so. is why. Sony, in literally the final year, the PS4 <laughs> is coming out with this thing. Just, not because yeah. of it's a needed adapter. Not because it's a, like people were clamoring for this. It's because they needed to keep people playing a multi-platform game 
on their platform in order to stay competitive. So do you think technology similar to this will be standard in a DualShock 5? I don't know if it will be standard in DualShock 5, but expect what X, what, like Xbox did where they released both a standard controller yeah. and a Pro Elite controller at the same time. Oh, okay. So I'm saying expect this to maybe become a standard in the next... Uh, consoles like ill if you want an upgraded controller you can get the elite controller that comes with these pre-matched buttons because we realize people have been telling us now that they really want to map their own buttons and make everything have shortcuts mm-hmm. yeah i don't know i still i'm still a little mixed on it i will be really interested to see when this uh, starts going out to press and some uh, press outlets get to actually try try this thing out mm-hmm I'm mixed because uh, it is curious. coming at the end of the PS4 yeah. cycle, essentially. Yeah, I'll be curious if this is something that actually feels comfortable to use mm-hmm. and practical to use, or if it's something only for the most elite of the elite. Like I said, I think it's something for the elite of the elite. Might be. Uh, much like the, um, what is it, the v- PSVR, when it initially yeah. came out was for those top tier gotta have it type of people yeah um even the playstation camera for those top tier kind of people yeah there's a reason they don't necessarily advertise for it yeah or playstation vr yes yeah same deal anyway or motion when it came out yeah (laughs) uh but let's um change color palettes from blue to green yes as i know you don't have it on here but the Game Awards were yeah. last Thursday. I kind of skipped last week because we didn't... Like, I feel like that was big enough news where like it probably got to most of our audience. So this is more of a follow-up story to that announcement. Right. Well, like I said, last week was the Game Awards yeah. on last Thursday. And of everything to come out of the Game Awards, the one people things were, people were talking about wasn't who won, right. wasn't who was there, but rather the announcement of... The Xbox series? So A series of Xboxes? Series X. Xbox? So when they announced it, they basically said that the name of the next generation Xbox was Series X. And as that name implies, it will be a series of consoles. Uh, so far, we the theory is that there are two. A kind of lower-end model and a higher-end model. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so far, all we know is that the... Next generation of consoles is just being called Series X. Well, both Phil Spencer and Xbox Partner Director of Programming Management, Jason Randolph. Jason Ronald. Hmm. Why can't I, can I say Ronald? Ronald. R- Ronald. 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 Jason Ronald. Ronald McDonald. Exactly. <laughs> um, expanded upon the Xbox Series X backwards compatibility yes. in an interview with GameSpot. Quote, we wanted to make sure we had that day one. We could deliver on the compatibility promise. And so I've been playing quite a few Xbox 360 games on my Xbox Series X and Xbox One games on the Xbox Series X. <laughs> and that's just to ensure that we can be there at day one. And that's a lot of Xbox variations. That's a lot of Xboxes. Um, he said... Quote, we have thousands of games that run on Xbox One today, uh, Xbox Partner Director Jason Ronald told GameSpot. Quote, we want those games to be able to come forward with you, 
but we also want your services to come with you. We want your gaming legacy to come with you, whether that's your gamer score, whether that's your friends list, all your achievements, your game saves, all of that should come forward so there's no barriers for you as you think about moving forward. Yeah. So basically this is all to say that the intent of the Xbox Series X will be to have backwards compatibility with purchases you made on the Xbox One. And because we know that Xbox One purchases can include 360 and even Xbox original games, Mm -hmm. then in theory, I'm saying in theory because there are never guarantees in this kind of thing, the Xbox Series X will be able to play games from every single era of the Xbox. Except Xbox One. Original. Well, no, I just said there are some Xbox original titles that are available. Okay. So if you can currently play them on an Xbox One, basically that quote is saying you should be able to bring it over to Xbox Series X. Now, the question is, or at least my question is, uh-huh. are they talking about disc-based games or games that you buy on this the store? This sounds 100% digital. And the reason why is because that's kind of the caveat they had with the Xbox One backwards mm-hmm. compatibility as well, is that they said there would be certain titles on Xbox 360 that you could pop in a disc and it would work. But not all of them were guaranteed. Right. And then for those, they would often put on their digital store a downloadable version for those who for those games that they couldn't figure out physical uh, compatibility with. And I think that's the case for all Xbox original games as well. None of those discs, I believe, can be played in Xbox One. Hmm. So yeah. So like I said, there's a bunch of caveats, and of course, this will depend on uh, licenses from the actual uh, developers, which will differ from developer to developer. Like, publishers will ultimately have the choice here whether or not they'll support licensing for the Xbox Series X. But this is at least the console holder telling us that they intend on making uh, compatibility work. Yes, I mean... it's good news going into a new generation to know that your old games will work. Yeah, it's good news, but like I said, if I have a collection of Xbox games sitting here... Yeah. Do, am I going to be able to play these disc-based games? I would bet. Also, am I going to have to down, re-download these yeah. games, like well, Red yes. Dead Redemption 2, will definitely have to back onto the hard drive? You will definitely have to re-download all the games. Uh, uh, but but as for the discs, I bet your discs from your Xbox One collection will work. But I cannot. I don't think you can. anybody can guarantee 360 get discs will work. Okay. But yeah, uh, it's good news, especially that they're getting ahead a, a of... Uh, uh, Sony and getting this established before Sony has said or uh, whether or not PlayStation games will be right because I think PlayStation may want to push their online service PlayStation yeah. Now yeah depending right because that's a at. subscription service we will see certainly. Um, but as for this Xbox series I think we're gonna have kind of what we had with the 360 version where there was the arcade the pro and the elite yeah where those are gonna be the series they're gonna be your Either your regular disc based, your premium disc based, and then your discless uh-huh. Xbox as well. This Xbox has no disc. Yes, but make sure <laughs> you don't buy that, or yeah. if you do buy it, know that you're getting the discless, discless version. Discless. Yes. Uh, but other than that, that brings us yeah. to the end. Um, do you have any thoughts? I do. You do? I do have a couple thoughts. You do? If you reference the thing. Uh, it's uh, okay. What is assemble with care? 
Should just be us in both care. No, I think I, there's an M here. There's an M by accident. Um, I may have put that in there. <laughs> uh, so I jumped back into Apple Arcade for uh, to try out some of the stuff that I had missed earlier in the year. I believe at the end of last episode, you said you were done with Apple Arcade. I canceled it, but I still have access to it till the 7th. Okay. So I'm using that to kind of clean up, do some end-of-the-year wrap-up cleanup, and to make sure I didn't miss any hidden gems. Okay. And I'm glad I did, because I went back and played some uh, games that are pretty cool. They are mobile games, first and foremost, so if you do have Apple Arcade and iPhone, uh, that's the best place to play them. But I believe there are also um, console versions of the second one of these. But the first one I'll talk about is, I think, a mobile exclusive, uh, which is called Assemble with Care. So as an old care, uh, the basic idea is you play as someone who is really good at fixing things. They're uh, visiting a new town, and people in the town are asking them to uh, fix their stuff, whether it be a statue that's like broken and they need glued back together, or a kid who has a, uh, a tape deck that won't work anymore. And the basic gameplay of the game is you are like IKEA instruction style, assembling reassembling these broken things by like okay. following steps okay not everything has instructions some things do but some things don't and you basically have to intuit what you need to replace judging by the uh, tools that you're given the replacement parts you're given and by taking apart the thing that you're fixing yeah it's pretty intuitive and the mobile controls work just as you'd imagine like you have a screwdriver you uh you basically tap on one of the screws screwdriver appears and you just do a little swipe to twist it the way you want to uh, twist it off or on. Okay. And that's the basic thing. There, there's some, some of the things are more in-depth than others. Uh, you'll be uh, fixing something as intricate as a slide projector towards the, the, middle, like the middle of the game. Mm. So, yeah, and sometimes that involves um, pointing light, uh, light refracting mirror, mirrors in a certain way. Sometimes you'll have to plug certain cables into certain places and kind of trial by error figure out which one's the okay, right one it's a really interesting game and then on top of all that it tells a really touching story hmm. so while you're doing in between fixing the things for people you get to learn about them and you get to kind of have like a little slice of life kind of conversation about them and because you're in a town you've never been before like they're all like important in their own way in the little small town environment like you meet the the mayor's daughter who's the one that needs to have her tape deck fixed. Why does she need her tape deck fixed? Because the tape is of her late mother singing a lullaby to her. And so you get to learn about that she's uh, basically been left with the mother and it's just her and her father. Then you meet her father, who is the mayor, who is putting on a, um, a food festival in town. Okay. And uh, he has his own issues because he's concerned about raising her without a mother and uh, spending as much time as possible instead of being at work all the time with her. So it's this very, like, touching story that's happening all while you're fixing people's stuff. Hmm. And it brings, like, extra meaning to the name Assemble with Care because you're not just assembling physical objects. You're also helping people assemble their life, put their lives back together. Hmm. It's very cool. It's not a very long game. I believe I probably spent like an hour and a half uh, finishing all 12 levels of it. Oh, okay. Uh, so it's a real bite-sized kind of movie-length experience. Uh, it's free on Apple Arcade, if you're a member of that. 
Um, so if you're not, and if you have an Apple device, I recommend getting the, the free trial. Try it out. Um, and I believe it is com- one of the ones that's compatible for Macs as well, if you have a Mac. Okay. Uh, um, I don't know if it's available Android. on any other storefront. I didn't see it on Android. Yeah, I don't it, think it is. The way you described it reminded me a lot of Luminosity. Lumino- 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 oh, yeah, yeah, Lumino- yeah. It's similar to that. Yeah. But yeah, if, if you like uh, interactive fiction and if the idea of putting something back together seems appealing to you, this game is right up your alley, and I recommend it. Second game, uh, I also played on my iPhone through Apple Arcade, that is, I believe, available on other platforms, including Steam, is NeoCab. Okay, so, is this a cab in the future? Exactly. It is, you are a cab driver in the cyberpunk future California. Haha. So this is a cyberpunk future that has imagined that rideshare is pretty much dead, and it is dominated by a company called Capra, which has uh, a fleet of self-driving cars that okay. drive people around. Hmm. You, instead, hate Capra because you used to work for a Capra company. Imagine Capra as like a Google equivalent. Yes. Or Tesla. Tesla you know, equivalent. Like a Elon Musk kind of so I used to work at Tesla. Any kind of thing, exactly. Uh, but but uh, now you work for NeoCab, which is a competing company that still believes in people driving cars, and you are one of those drivers. So, it is a simulator of you basically being like an Uber or a Lyft driver, where you're picking up passengers. You are not doing any physical driving in this game. This is not a driving game. Instead, it is 100% dialogue based, and you are just. Uh, choosing the conversations with your uh, passengers. An additional layer here is it's also telling a story about the driver, you. You are also uh, new to the area. You're basically moving into a city for the first time in with your best friend. And a whole storyline starts about that, about you and your relationship with your best friend, kind of going running parallel to the stories of your passengers that you pick up. So as you go, you learn more and more about the world that you're in, uh, about their, the, about Capra, the company, about your company, NeoCab, about your history, about your relationship with your best friend, about how that's evolving and or not. Um, it's another really good example of like a good interactive fiction kind of thing mm-hmm. if you like that kind of game. Um, it's, a, it's a lot of reading, but if you're ready for that, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a really interesting world that they've created. Uh, one thing I will say that's really cool about it um, that I did not expect is that it has a, a motion um, meter concept in it, and this is like some like something I've seen similar done similarly in other interaction fic, interactive fiction like the uh, Twine Game Depression Quest, um, where depending on your character's mood, which is shaped by the conversations you're having, you will have additional dialogue options or some dialogue options will be inaccessible okay now you know i love my dialogue trees for example if you are pissed off like if one example is an early passenger brings up capra you get pissed off that they are defending capra Mm -hmm. and you're visibly angry you have a bracelet on you that is like a mood bracelet that glows the color uh, a color based on your emotion if it is glowing bright red, mm-hmm. then you are angry. Ah. So you'll see that bright red ang- anger meter come on, and you'll be like, oh. And you'll try to select something reasonable, like to try to calm the person down or something. 
and you'll literally have a monologue, like a bit of dialogue, like inner inner monologue come up and say, I'm too angry to try to be nice to him right now. (laughs) And you'll only be able to say the mean thing. And depending on how the, uh, the, the conversations play out, you might never see that because you may not have gotten mad in the first place. So these conversations can branch all sorts of ways, judging by how you react earlier in the conversation. Okay. Yeah, it's neat stuff. Neat. And I've only scratched the surface. I'm only about an hour into that thing. And I don't know if I'm anywhere close to the end. So I don't know how long this game is. Uh, but yeah, what I've played so far is really compelling. And the world that they're creating is really cool. So um, if that sounds appealing, uh, check that out also on Apple Arcade. But yeah, like I said, I believe there's a Steam version of that as well. Okay, interesting. Yeah, it's cool. Neo Cab. Neo Cab. Neo Cab. Not to confuse Neo Cats. No, Neo or, or, Neo, or Neo Pets. Pets. Very different. But yeah, that's that's what I played this week. Okay, I think that does it for us. And I didn't play anything new this week. All right, then that, does, that it does it for, for us. And that does it for us. The Media Boat Podcast. And that does it for this week's Media Boat Podcast. And that actually does it for our live broadcasts of yes. the year. Thank you for watching us live. If Unless you, you want to do year. live next week maybe we'll figure it out we'll see so for now this would be our last live broadcast so thanks for tuning in if you did if you want to tune in in the year 2020 and watch us live you can do so for season five just go to youtube.com search media about podcast you'll find our page if you want to see the first time we go live in january sign up uh subscribe and click that bell and you'll get notifications as soon as we go live if you want to hear us in audio form, though, you can do that anytime, and you can catch our year-end wrap-up shows that way as well in the coming week. Um, there, you can just search Media Boat Podcast in your podcast catchers, and you'll be able to have access to all those things as soon as they go live, as well as our weekly show. You can also find us on social media. On Twitter, we're at Media Boat Cast. On Facebook, search Media Boat Podcast, and you'll find our page there. Like and comment. You can find us on twitch.tv slash mediaboat when we're playing video games. Maybe in the new year we'll play something new for you. Who knows? Uh, you can also catch us uh, maybe some playoff football. Maybe in Madden if you want to uh, back I probably will. Because um, yeah. I know once uh, the playoffs start rolling, yeah. I'm going to be doing some like day of games. Who's going to win? Yeah, yeah. That'd be fun. So, yeah. Speaking of. Uh, and yeah, uh, you can also find us on uh, patreon.com slash mediaboat if you want to help us out with money. You can donate as little as a dollar a month, and even that little amount of money can help us and make this show even better. So consider donating with your tax refund in the new year, <laughs> if you want. Uh, that'll be it, I believe. I think if, oh yeah, and if you want to email us, mediaboatpodcast at gmail.com is where you can reach us. You can feel free to ask us questions, give us comments, feedback, anything you want will be available there. And that will do it for this week. We will, uh, you will hear us next week. You will not see us, but you will hear us next week with another edition of the Mini Boat Podcast. For now, signing off for 2019. Uh, yes. Uh, also, be sure to check out our end of the year lists. As we wrap up 2019, moving into 2020. Yeah. And season five. Thank you all. We'll be back next week. Next week. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.